How's everybody doing today? Wow, Nanny. She yelled out, great. I mean, yelled it out, great. Great. Friday night at 8. Got myself a date. His name might be JJ. He would be so great. <laughs> Is that blessing, Lord? Is that what that was? <laughs> I'm getting called. She, Nanny is the one that taught me the New Testament, uh, the New Testament uh, books, the books in the New Testament. And we also made, took a Clorox bucket and cut out, for some reason, a soap holder. I don't know if you remember doing the soap holders from the Clorox buckets. And that's when we didn't have a church building, so we decided to meet over at Lakewood Park, which is now Martin Luther King Jr. Park, right there in the amphitheater. And up, if you're looking at the amphitheater, over on this corner is where I learned Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It, it, was, it was years later is when I learned the Old Testament ones. Because there's a lot more of those. <laughs> Do you remember doing that? That's right. We made an ark out of popsicle sticks. And then we had a building over at, uh, near the bowling alley. We leased a place there for years and made a, and made a replica of the, of the uh, tabernacle out of, was it matchsticks? Anything we could find. Uh, we made a replica of the uh, a very small, uh, scaled-down size of the, of the tabernacle. And then, gosh, it seemed like every building we moved, we had a new project. In this building, we're hoping to build disciples. So today I want to talk about the coming revival. I do believe um, that there is a coming revival, and more than revival, uh, because that word has been so, in my opinion, overused. And not just overused, but misused. Um, years and years ago, when... Uh, our, we had a band, one, we traveled a lot back then. In fact, uh, my dear sister decided she would send me some of the greatest videos ever. It was one of our first concerts. Seth played with us, and we, I was about as big as Isaac, and I had a, a shirt that was about a 3X tucked into corduroy shorts and, and Birken, fake Birkenstocks from Kmart and white socks or something pulled up. <laughs> but we traveled, and I remember one time we went to Florida. I just want to tell a story, and then we'll talk about the revival. We went to Florida to play, and my father had gone down there, just had been invited by uh, Apostle Jesse Slade to preach, and he asked me to ride with him, and, and my sisters would be coming down to my mother in a few days, but we went down like Wednesday. <clears throat> and I got up at First Assembly, uh, First Assembly in Lake City, Florida, and I talked about the difference between uh, having faith and just and you know believing something and actually having faith, and the difference was um, it was essentially uh, a woman watched a man take a uh, wheelbarrow and walk across a tightrope across a canyon, and said that's great. And said, but if you had real faith, you'd get in the wheelbarrow and let him push you across. It was essentially was the story. Anyways, from that from that time that I shared and sang, the youth pastor approached me afterwards and said, would you be willing to come and do a youth revival and preach our youth revival? And I said on two conditions that I can bring my band. And they hadn't heard him yet. They hadn't heard us yet. But we were a lot better then. And that I can bring some other friends of mine that sing with us. And their names are Eyes of Fire. It would just be about three or four or five years later, the Eyes of Fire would have twins with hair of fire. It looks like flames of fire coming off the back of Eli's head when he plays on Sundays. And we went down there. And anyways, we, uh, we played. And, you know, it was, it was several hundred kids. And we stayed there in the church. We slept in the Sunday school rooms. And it was a cool church. They had a pool table. And uh, they fed us, and we stayed up all night playing, and we would go to drive over to Jacksonville Beach during the day. But Jim Condes got up one night and said, um, he said, I want to talk about revival. He said, I looked out front, and the sign out front says, this is supposed to be a youth revival that's on fire. 
And he said, now I don't know about you. And it was just kind of like, like it has been this morning where about seven or eight were awake and everybody else was just sort of chilling. Uh, it was like that. And he said, now if I, go to, if I go to the grocery store and I see that milk is advertised out front for $2.49 a gallon, I expect to go in that store and get what I saw on the sign. On the sign. And he said, I saw out front the sign that says youth revival, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of reviving. I want to see in here what I read outside on the sign. Revival is not about coming together and having a special preacher and some special songs. Revival in its purest sense is literally the word revive or to bring back to life or to breathe into again. And I believe that we are on the precipice of another great revival, not what a lot of people call the last revival. I don't know about that, but I do believe that this is a, another great, the third great awakening. And I be, do believe we are on the precipice of another great revival. But to, for us to understand what revival is, we're going to have to look at what it actually is not. If John Michael, just talk back, just throw me a mercy amen every now and again. Would you do it? That's what I needed to hear. Just don't give me any oh wows and we'll be good. <laughs> January 31st, 2021. We're already here. We've already completed the first month as of today in this new year, coming off of the heels of one of the most tumultuous, uh, for some confusing uh, times in, in, in our history, especially in the history of, of those of us that are, that are living now. Um, 2020, as I look back and, and was sort of thinking, you know, although I, I feel like in some ways it was almost a forced Sabbath. Probably maybe a different way to look at it because of things that were imposed upon us. I mean, somewhere out of a Chinese lab came the virus, and it is a real virus, and it's hurt a lot of people. And I, and I know that. In fact, I had it, and a lot of our family has had it. People in the church have had it. Um, but, it but it was imposed upon us. But when, when the lockdowns came, in retrospect, I think back, like, this is almost like, I really feel like God was giving us somewhat of a forced Sabbath and saying, I'm going to make you rest. I'm going to make you, you know, stop doing the stuff that you always do. And it became an opportunity. In my opinion, it became more of an opportunity um, to, to reflect. I mean, I mean, you know the first, what was it, in March and April when you had to stay at home and nobody really knew what was happening or going on in your I, I, I like that first few weeks maybe. You know, you're at home with your family. You know, you, you, you know we went up and tried to find, remember when toilet paper was $600 a roll? <laughs> and uh, I stood at May's Meats for hours and waiting to get in to get some chicken. It literally for like three and a half hours to get some chicken. And nobody really knew what was happening. But the thing at my house was, and this wasn't for everybody because a lot of people that live by themselves or are single may not have felt that way. But for me, I felt like it was somewhat of a forced Sabbath where the Lord was saying for those of us that, that were able to see, and some of us see in retrospect, I'm, I'm going to cause you to put to rest, to be at rest, and to uh, reflect upon what, what life has meant up until this point. And really what I think it was was it was a great rest that was given just before a great awakening because I do believe in a coming revival. I do believe in a great awakening that's happening. It's not just going to happen. It's already happening. Uh, it was a year in 2020 in which we were compelled to become innovative even in the way that we communicated. We were forced to become innovative. You know, when they say you can't have more than 10 people in church, and if you do, they could get sick. Nobody wanted anybody sick. So the first, I think the first Sunday that we met, we actually met out there in the lobby. 
and Isaiah was scrambling to find camera equipment and things to record for us and to upload it. You, you remember, you know, when we were posting services online, we were forced to become innovative. And, and it, I love the way that every time the enemy takes a shot at the church, God always turns that for our good. He's always about turning what the, you took what the enemy meant for evil, you know the song says, and he works it to our good. And what happened was, not just our church, but the church at large, the gospel was being heard in places it had never been heard before. And not just the gospel, but but, but a different flavor of, of the message. Not that, you know, you know, I like Logan's and I like Logan's rolls, but I don't want them every, well, I probably do. I probably do want them every single day, but I, want, I don't want the same meal every single day. I like to feel it cooked. So when we sat at home, I, we would come here and do our services, and I would watch like Beulah, some friends of mine go there, and I'd watch Western, and I'd watch, you know, churches in London. I'd watch churches around the place just to, just to get a different feel, just to get, be exposed to, um, to, the, to the gospel being preached in different ways. And I think that it was a way for God to expand the kingdom without us knowing what was happening. The enemy wanted to close us in, and what God did was, no, I'm going to cause my children to become innovative, and now they're going to expand. Did you know the children of Israel, when they were being whipped and beaten for 400 and almost 20 years, 413 years in Egypt, the day that they became free, they were stronger than they knew they were. Because they had endured 400 years. In, in some ways, their souls were broken, and some of the older ones were sold. But there, for every man that had a broken soul, there was a Joshua that was tired of feeling the, the whip upon his back, and, 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 a, and a Moses that was tired of watching his children, the, the, children, the Hebrew children, be slaves. And there was a generation that rose up, and they realized, oh my gosh, we're stronger than we knew we were. There are more of us than there are of them. There are four million of us. Let's stand up, and, you know. And I think what's happened to the church, I'm just talking, I know, I know I'm rambling, but it's somewhat anointed rambling, uh, is, is the Lord, forced, the fourth Sabbath calls us to become innovative and to expand the kingdom and expand the gospel. The prophecy was clear back in the Old Testament, and you've read it, of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there would, there would be no end. So I, I do believe in that, and yet I'm concerned because I don't, I'm not sure that many of us haven't missed the point of 2020 altogether because there was a point there was a focus. There was a purpose. You, it seemed like it was this, this void blob of a year that everybody was glad that was over. You remember in 2019 when everybody was saying 2020 is a year of perfect vision and nobody saw it coming? Not making fun of the guys that said it, but I'm just saying, you know, the year, the year of perfect vision and nobody saw what was going to happen. Not, not nobody that I heard saw that was going to happen, but God knew what was going to happen. But it wasn't a blob of void. It wasn't just this thing that happened to us. It was an opportunity for us, and I think some of us missed the point. When, when I used to travel with Charles Johnson, I'll never forget, I went to him uh, in 98, 99 for seven, eight weeks each time to India. He said this, I'll never forget it. He said, Joshua, miracles are only needed in a place where people are hurting and destitute. Miracles are not needed in the heavenly realm. Let's just, let's just put your mind at what you think of when you think of heaven. If it's the afterlife, that's fine. Or if it's even here. When you think of the full, complete work of Jesus Christ being manifested in... Let me ask it this way. Do you think right now God, Jesus, needs any kind of miracle? No. He doesn't need a miracle. He lives in fullness. He is fullness. And the Bible does say, of, of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. But God doesn't need a miracle. Miracles are required where people are destitute and they're desperate for a move or a touch of God. The reason the woman with the issue of blood got her miracle was not because Jesus was coming to her house, but because she got to a place of desperation. She wasn't waiting for a move of God. A lot, you know, a lot of us are waiting on a move of God. I think in 2020, God was waiting on a move of his church. You're quiet today. This is what true revival is. I mean, God has never needed a miracle. He feels all things. In him all things consist. Opportunity, 
however, for us, is a perishable commodity. Listen to me, because I'm going to talk about where I think that we're headed. I'm not going to be up here very long. Oh, by the way, I will tell you, I got Logan's Rolls again last Sunday. God almighty, I got my jig on. I probably am about seven pounds heavier than I was two weeks ago when that Logan's thing started. (laughs) Opportunity is a perishable commodity, or or as it has been said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And I'm not sure that many of us haven't missed the opportunity that's been presented to us, including yours truly. We get sometimes caught up in complaining about the things that were imposed upon us that we miss the opportunity that actually has been presented to us. It happens again and again. So what, what, opportunities did, what opportunities did 2020 present? I believe it has presented the opportunity for the word that is so overused and watered down but still needed and true. What's the word? Revival. Yes, revival. 2020 has set the stage, so to speak. I believe that 2020 will become, and is becoming, I'm going to prophesy when I get done at the very end, the springboard for another, the third great awakening uh, in his kingdom. The third great awakening, a move of God like we've never seen before. But it's not just going to be a move of God. It'll be a move of God moved, uh, coupled with the move of his disciples like we've not seen since the early church. But I'm talking about revival in its purest sense. We've come to know the word as a weekend gathering with special songs and guest preachers regurgitating the same fear tactics that are simply used to get people to the altar at the end of service. And I am not against people coming to the altar. In fact, I hope at the end of this service that happens today. But we watched it. We've been a part of it. All of us have partaken of it. And I believe that maybe that's a 30-fold, a 30-fold thing, but in, in a 100-fold understanding of the kingdom. We don't preach to try to scare people into coming to the altar. That, how long is that going to last? And what is, the, what is the end goal of that? I'm not against people being the altar by any means, but I'm not for manipulation and fear cloaked as ministry. I'm not talking about holy righteous fear. I'm talking about making you afraid you're going to die tonight, so you better get saved tonight because this is your last opportunity. I'm against that 100%, obviously. The mode of revival that we understand that I just explained is a relatively new concept. Did you know that? Did you know the one that made famous the repeat the sinner's prayer thing, and I want to tell you why it became famous, was Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham would preach to stadiums full of people. Well, when you have stadiums full of people, it would be really hard to go and minister or disciple those people individually. You're not going to go to 50,000 people in the stadium and talk to each one of them. And so it became easier for him to say now. And all he was trying to do was to get people to, to communicate what they were feeling and what they were experiencing, to put it in some sort of biblical terms. In other words, if you want to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus came. And that's true. You need to believe that he died. You need to believe that he rose from the dead. You know, you need to believe that he's coming again, whatever that looks like to you. You need to believe those things, of course. But what happened was, over the years, everybody's like, well, man, this is easy. This salvation thing, I'll do what I saw Billy Graham do on TV. At the end of church, I'll just have somebody repeat after me this magical prayer, and boom, they're good to go. And the end reward of that is, when they die, they get to go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus preached. It's not what he preached. I think Billy Graham was, a, as far as I know, I never met the man, but I think the Bible says his works follow him. I mean, there were millions, if possibly billions of people that at least heard the gospel, if not came into the kingdom as a result of his ministry. But God is not looking for a bunch of little Billy Grahams running around. In fact, did you know that, uh, that back in, I wish I could remember the year. I don't, I don't want to tell the year, but in the, I think it was in the early 1900s. It might have been the, the mid-1900s, uh, 30, 40 um, there was a man in South Carolina that had a revival 
and, he, and I think it was a week-long revival, and, at the, and he, kept, he kept a journal. And at the, end of the, at the end of the revival, he wrote in his journal, I had a revival. I can't remember the city. Let's just say it was Florence, South Carolina. Somewhere in South Carolina, it was in completely and utterly a disappointment. Only one person got saved, a young man named Bill Graham, Billy Graham. But that man, in what seemed like an effective revival, would go on to bring millions to the kingdom. And yet we think of revival as let's regurgitate what we heard Billy Graham say, but that's not what God's doing. That's not what he's necessarily saying for you to do. We're not repeating magic prayers. God never even wanted us to make church people. He says go and make disciples of all nations. Billy Graham's job was to get them in the kingdom. Then once having them in the kingdom, guess what they did? They had groups of people that would try to partner them with the church so they could be discipled. We forget that part. I'm just talking for a few minutes. That type of ministry and that mode of revival was a relatively new concept. When I say relatively new, I'm talking about in terms of the age of the church. There have always been the Jonathan Edwards who prey upon people's fears. But for every Jonathan Edwards who wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, there's a Brian Zahn who got a revelation and wrote Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. For every John Darby preaching about any minute escapism, there's a Barton Stone serving the body and blood to over 20,000 people and helping to usher in the Second Great Reformation. There's always been a counterfeit religion to oppose a genuine move of God. But anytime you find a counterfeit, Tony Bunton was famous for saying, you can be sure that there is an original. What we need is another authentic move of the Spirit coupled with the movement of His church. We need to go back to the ancient ways of serving one another in love. We don't need a new thing. Our generation is obsessed with the next new thing. This phone is, who said yes? It's it's true. This phone is about a year and a half old. This is the iPhone 11 Max Pro. And to a lot of kids, this phone is ancient already. Not kidding. How many, how, I've got a friend, in, in fact, he's, he's a good buddy of mine, Ricky Rodriguez. He was the guy that, that, he's a record producer, and he produced my last record, and he's done some for Holly and them. A lot, Dan Keesler, a lot of guys use him. He's a great guy. But Ricky is a techie, and this phone to Ricky might as well be 100 years old. Now, I'm not making fun of Ricky. I'm just, this is this generation. What's the newest phone that's out now, iPhone? Who's an iPhone guy? There's an iPhone 12 out? Okay, so the iPhone, do you have it? <laughs> I don't do iPhone. I don't have a 12 yet, and I don't know when I'm going to get a 12. I don't need a 12. This thing calls people just fine. Did you know that? I can jump on social media as I need to just fine. I got my emails on this phone. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm a little bit of a bridge in that I understand how they work. I'm not like in my, in my 70s or 80s or 90s, and I don't even have a clue of how to work my phone or possibly 60s, but I'll just leave it at there, or remote to my TV. But I'm also not 15 where I've had this phone for three weeks, and I'm so dissatisfied that I need the brand new thing. That's what this generation is about. We seek the new thing. Look, you've heard me say the story before. We go through a drive-thru. I watched, what's the, the founder? Have you ever seen the movie The Founder? It's about, uh, is it Ray? Is it Ray, Ray Kroc? That, uh, the McDonald's guy, right? He wasn't the founder of McDonald's, but he was a founder of the real estate company McDonald's. But when they first became a company, what was so innovative about them was you could have a cheeseburger and fries within five minutes. In fact, when he... And if you've not watched the movie, it just kind of goes to the history. And I've seen the original McDonald's. I've been. And, you know, he would go up and place their order and then go sit in his car and just wait. And they brought the food to him in, like, whatever it was, three or four or five minutes. He's like, what's this? He said, where's your food? 
Well, who cooked it? We cooked it. When? Right now. <laughs> it, was, it was innovative. But we've gotten such that how many people have been through the drive-thru? You won't be at Chick-fil-A because that's God's chicken. So not there, but McDonald's or Arby's or wherever. And you had to wait more than two and a half minutes, and you're about to cuss. You shook your head, yeah, before you knew what I was going to say. Everybody that's laughing, everybody that giggled or laughed can, can identify and said, yeah, I've done that. This lady right here, I'm not going to tell it. This lady right here, love her. We would go through McDonald's growing up, and if the food didn't come in time, I have seen her say, can you throw some extra fries in that bag? We waited five and a half minutes for our food. She had to feed 19 of us. Jeremy represented 14 of us. The rest of us ate like humans. When he was little, mom called him her little billy goat because he would eat all of his food, and he would come after us and eat all the rest of the food on our plate. But we, we're, we're accustomed to having things right now. How many people have ever thrown out a dirty word, whatever that word is, because the Internet was acting up? There's a new meme out that says, before you date somebody, go to a place with them where there's really bad Internet and see who they really are. <laughs> have you seen it? We are made for that. I mean, they, we've, 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 we've been cultured to, we want something right now, just as soon as we can get it. We're not going to wait for something. We want the new thing, the next thing, the new concept. Uh, you know, uh, that's what we do. That's who we are. And yet, because our generation is that way, I mean, you can't pay off this, this phone. If you paid this phone in cash, right? well, not now, when it first came out, it's like $850 or $900. If you were to tell somebody, let's just say we had, we had the... Uh, the, the, um, a time machine. Let's say we called up Michael J. Fox and said, Michael, let me get that car, the DeLorean with the flux capacitor, because we're going to go back to the 70s. And I'm going to go to Nancy's house, and I'm, oh, or even I'm going to go back to 1996 when my Uncle Dave was still alive and say, did you know there would come a day in the next 20 years where people would pay $1,000 for a phone? And what would he say? Stupid. <laughs> stupid is as stupid does. The coolest phone that I ever saw before there were cell phones was a Mickey Mouse phone at her house. And she probably paid $20 for it. We thought she was probably crazy for paying $20 for it out of the Sears catalog. <laughs> it's not, we don't want the new thing because what we have doesn't work. We want the new thing because of the hype that is around it. There's my flashlight. We want the new thing just because of the hype. We're so good at hype and we're so good at image and we're so good at commercializing everything that we will make this phone look like the worst piece of trash it's ever lived because there's a 12 now and all the hype will be about that. I will never forget the, when I first bought an iPhone, I got it. was so happy that I finally switched over. I mean, I had friends that saying, you need to come to the dark side for years and years and years. And I had used Apple products here in the church and the, and, and the, the programs that we use. So I came with that. I was like, yes, I finally got one. And literally the next week, my phone was obsolete. I mean, I just dropped like $600 in a payment plan for this thing. They've got me enslaved for two years to their phone bill, and now my phone is obsolete. You get the point. There was nothing wrong with what we have, but the new thing is backed up by hype. What we do, uh, we do that in commercialism, and we do it in commercial church. We're sold on hype, but all the hype and no substance ain't never healed nobody. I'll say it again, all hype and no substance ain't never healed nobody. Not one person has ever had their blinded eyes open because of your talent. Nobody has had their deaf ears open because of your charisma. No one has ever gotten up out of a wheelchair because of your ability to exegete the gospel or exegete the, the Bible. Nobody. This old thing that's, that used to work still works. 
What we need is the genuine article. You can't hype the blind into seeing. You can't hype the deaf into hearing or the lame into walking. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. What we need is a true revival, another great awakening. And the engine of true revival cannot, nor will it ever be fear. The engine of real revival. I'm not saying that there's not, there's not, there's, that it doesn't have its place. What I'm saying is the driving engine of the third great awakening that's coming to the church, it cannot be fear. It will not operate by fear. And it won't work by hype. True God-given revival must be ignited and sustained by love and discipleship. That's it. That's the next great awakening. Love and, we need a, I started to preach this morning. What we need is a love revival. We know how to preach well, and we know how to sing well. We know how to mix the music well, and we know how to play the stuff well. But what we have forgotten to do is how do we love well? How are we able to be true disciples? Jesus said this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not how you preach, and not how you sing. Not how well you build the churches, and not how much comes in the play. By this one thing shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And the engine of the next great awakening will be, and the engine and the sustenance of it will be great love. In fact, the measure of the revival will be equal to your measure of love. I heard this example given, and I liked it. I've used one similar, but I like it. So I'm going to use it this morning. I'll make it my own. In my family, <clears throat> is there water here? Abby or somebody? Abby, she's down here. Can you find me a water? Uh, Either in my little mini fridge or maybe back there. In my family, we do a... Oh, thank you. Have you drunk out of it? It's okay. You're my daughter. I like you. We do a thing on, um, we do a thing on birthdays where on the birthday we want to honor whoever the birthday person is. So as much as possible on the date of the birthday. For instance, Isaac has one coming up in, in 10 days. He'll be 15 on the 10th. And the morning of the 10th, Isaac and I will get up and I'll take him to breakfast. And then that afternoon, Elizabeth will take him to lunch and probably, you know, buy him a pair of jeans or, or whatever it is that they want these days. Uh, some hairpins for his hair or whatever. <laughs> but the thing that I love that we do the most, more than all the other stuff, because Elizabeth grew up where, I, for some reason, she thinks it's a law. You don't do parties after 10. We did parties until I was like 23 or 22 at least, you know, but she doesn't do that. So, but what we do do, and I love it, is, is, uh, <laughs> is we, we do a dinner to honor whoever the birthday person is at our house. And the birthday person, the birthday boy or the birthday girl or whatever gets to choose what dinner we eat. And uh, David... We did David's. David, what did you have? Steak. David wanted steak. I, uh, Elizabeth's got a new thing where she'll buy the, all the steaks and she'll chop them up because they're easier to cook. And Rachel said, are we having steak and bits tonight? <laughs> like, like bacon bits, but she called them steak and bits. So on B Rachel's birthday, she had steak and bits. And then, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, some macaroni and cheese for all of them, shells and cheese, probably mashed potatoes, some biscuits, you know, the, the, the biscuits, real biscuits, the good kind. And uh, when it comes my birthday, which I have to watch... David in January, Isaac in February, Jason on May 7th, Elizabeth on May, on May 8th, and then Abigail, or and then Rachel, then Abigail, then Jacob, all get their birthday dinners before mine because I'm a November 30 boy. I'm a November 30th. And I get to watch them, but finally when it gets to mine, this is what I like. I want deep fried chicken. And I want my, I want my Elizabeth to make it. 
she takes it and she puts, uh, she watched it on a cooking network. And she, she took it, she takes it and she puts it in, uh, in hot sauce and then she breads it and then she deep fries it. Either in a deep fry that we got or in a, or in a, a cast iron skillet. You know, with, with, with Crisco or whatever you put in there. Whatever it is, all I know is when it goes into my mouth. The only thing that has ever touched my tongue better than the milk and honey I found under her tongue and better than the, the Logan's Rolls is deep fried chicken. Anybody else like some deep fried chicken? I'm about to talk the church into KFC after church, ain't I? Half of you just changed your chicken plans or Bojangles or wherever it is that you go. I like deep fried chicken. I like it when she makes it. And she doesn't make it often because it's expensive and it takes a lot of time. But on my birthday, I don't care how much time it takes. I want some deep fried chicken. And I want some mashed potatoes. And I want biscuits. And you can color the plate with whatever else you want. Don't bother with me. I want that. There's enough Tony Button in me that I'm good with chicken and potatoes. Can I get an amen? And some biscuits. My mom used to make some good biscuits back in the day too. I don't think she's made them in about 30 years, but whenever we grew up, she used to make them things, and we'd wear them out. We always had, I grew up in a family of eight, you know, and there was always plus, plus, plus at our house. There's only about 17 or 18 people just sort of hanging around, and God forbid if there was a Jenkins hanging around, there was no food left for anybody, but Mike would eat all of it. You tell your daddy I said that, Johnny. I like chicken. <laughs> he said, I will. I, <laughs> if the chicken's done right, with mashed potatoes and biscuits, it's like heaven. And everything else on the plate is just for looks. However, when we get done, if there's chicken left over, and my birthday was on Sunday, on Wednesday, you can't take that same chicken and throw it in the microwave for two minutes and put it on my plate and expect me to like it like I did Sunday when it was cooked. Amen? Amen. The chicken's the same. There's nothing different. What we don't need is a brand new recipe. What we need is a fresh batch of the stuff that always worked in the chicken. What we need when it comes to revival is not a new concept. It's not the new flashy thing. It's not the new hype. It's not the new songs even. And I'm for new songs. It ain't the new revelation. We used to get together and try to impress each other with who had the biggest revelation. And you know, prance across the stage and look what God showed me. And look what God showed me. We don't, what we need is a fresh batch of what has always worked. And what has always worked is the love of God being, being manifested through his people and, and affecting the community. Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying this today. And, and John Michael. Oh, wow. <laughs> we don't need a new recipe for revival. We need a fresh move, a fresh batch of what, have, what has always been good. We need the original article where sons and daughters groan for a move of God and the Spirit answers our groan with a groaning of His own. The Bible speaks about that. The Bible, speaks, the Bible says that the earth groans and travails and waits for what? For the manifestation or the appearing or the revealing of the sons of God. So, so sons and daughters groan with groanings and utterances that cannot be uttered. And, 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 the, and the earth groans and waits for sons and daughters to, to, to finish the work that Jesus started. His work's finished, but ours isn't. And then the Holy Spirit has a groan of his own down inside of us. And the revival that's coming, the awakening that's coming is when the groan of creation and the groan of, of sons and daughters meet the groan of the creator. And it will manifest in our community as love. Love. How simple is that? Love? You mean not the big revelation? It is a revelation. It is a revelation. Love is a revelation. Love is a miracle. We almost sang that song today. Love is a miracle. 
We don't need new flashy sermons. We don't need the next new song. Here, I'm going to read this to you. When we come together and suddenly happens, like a mighty Russian wind, when his spirit comes and envelops us and rests upon us, it'll change our language, it'll change our nature, it'll change our culture, and we will go out and change the nations. That's the way it started, and that's what's going to happen in this third great awakening. That's what's needed. It's a love revival. Revival is in the air. We sung it this morning. Revival's in the air. Catch it if you can. But we don't need to microwave everything that worked before. What we need is a fresh batch of the moving of his spirit and a fresh batch of the moving of his body where we cry out and say, if I've got to stay all night crying out, I'm not going to be moved until the spirit of God comes. There was 500 that met in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And, and before long, those about 380 of them got tired and left. But for the 120 that says, he said to tarry in Jerusalem and wait until the promise comes. And they didn't know what the promise was and they didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know what it was going to sound like or how it was going to manifest. They just knew that God was going to visit them again by way of his promise and they waited and they waited and the Bible says and finally when, when 380 of them left the 120 of them were with one mind and in one accord in one place and suddenly that's when the suddenlies happen. When all of the stuff is out of the way. When you finally walk together in agreement. Not because you agree on every little thing but we agree that, that, that what what unites us is bigger than anything that divides us. And suddenly there came, there came a sound from heaven. The sound from heaven is the answer to the cry of the earth. The sound from heaven, the suddenly that comes. Look, I said this a hundred times. Suddenly's happen like this, but they take a long time to develop. The disciples were in that upper room for ten days post Jesus' ascension. Jesus ascends 40 days after his resurrection. And for 10 days, they didn't have a clue what was happening or what was going on because they didn't hear from him. They didn't know what was happening. Believe me, there was a lot happening in the heavens, but they didn't see it and they didn't know. Not until Jesus revealed it. They just had to do something. They just got to tarry. Like 2020, we just got to wait. This, it was a forced Sabbath. It was a time of waiting. What are we waiting on? The promise. What's it look like? I don't know. What's it going to be? Have no idea. How's it going to come? We don't know. When's it coming? I don't know. We just know that it is. But finally, when they were, the Bible says in one accord, the Bible, it's an old joke that says, how do we know the kind of cars the disciple drove? It was a Honda because they all were in one accord. It's a stupid joke, but I thought I'd throw it in. Just, if you don't like what I'm preaching, you can laugh at the dumb jokes. When they were all with, with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It was the sound of ruach, the sound of wind. It's the same word for breath. And it's the exact same word if you flip all the way back to the book of Genesis where God reached down and breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Except this time the breath of life would be coming from the one who had already tasted of death but didn't just taste of it. He swallowed up death and victory and now he was going to breathe that everlasting life into his church. We don't need to microwave what worked before. What we need is a fresh batch of the moving of his spirit. We need uh, the, the moving of his body and the birth of a movement in the earth. Interestingly, the Bible in the Bible, revival is not what we think in 2021. Here's what the scriptures that I'd like to share about revival. Here's some scriptures for revival. Hosea 6, chapter 2, or chapter 6, verse 2 says that after two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Or Habakkuk 3 2 says, Lord, I have heard 
heard of your fame, and I stand in all of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. I'm going to say it again. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in all of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. Let us see the power of God. Let us see the fire of God comes that purifies us like gold, that burns out the chaff, that burns out all the stuff that separates and causes us to come together. We thought the fire was to destroy us. No, the fire came to take the impurities away. So when you're presented, you're pure as gold. The fire didn't come to destroy. You can't be destroyed. The divine nature of God that lives inside of you is only purified by fire. It cannot be destroyed by fire. Anything that you lost in 2020, and I don't mean people because you didn't lose people that go on to be in the next dimension. You just don't have their bodies, but you don't lose them. I, I can tell you for a fact, Tony Bunt and Charles Johnson and Sidney Smith stand on this platform with me every time that I open my mouth. They are in his presence. The Bible says that we are compassed about. That word compassed is amphitheater roundabout, surrounded about by a great cloud of witnesses. If we're surrounded by the great cloud, guess what? Stop waiting on Jesus to step out on the cloud and realize you are the cloud. Anyways, we're amphitheater by such a great cloud of witnesses, and those that us cannot be made perfect. You might have lost someone, but you didn't lose them. You can't lose anything that God's given you. The fire didn't come to destroy you. The fire came for purification. Almost done. Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in all of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Isaiah 57, 15. For this says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the hearts of the contrite. I believe that contrition needs to come back to the church, where we say, Lord, we're sorry for the dumb stuff we did. We're sorry for trying to force something our way. We're sorry for trying to microwave an old move of God and expect it to taste the same but help us in our contrition to open our hearts up to the to the purifying fire that will come so that when we're presented we're presented pure and Jesus said blessed are the pure in heart why they shall see God second Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves Here's the recipe. You want some of that real good old-fashioned chicken? You want some of that real good revival, the type of revival that, is, that, that comes straight from the Bible, that comes straight from the source, and all Scripture is God-breathed and given to us? You want to know how to bring that type of revival? Here's how it is. If my people who are called by name will do this, throw a little bucket of humility, or throw some humility in the pot, in the pan. Before you, you don't just, you don't just get chicken out of a, out of a package and throw it in the skillet. You better season that stuff first. Throw a little bit of humility in there. But humble themselves. And pray. I think prayer is probably one of the most forsaken acts of the Christian life of anything that we have. Actually praying. Actually communicating. Actually a, an unbroken communion with father and sons. I'm not talking about praying before you sit down and eat, and that's good. I'm talking about actual praying and, and co contemplative prayer where you sit in the presence of God and you speak and wait to be spoken to. And, and you're heard and, you're, and you wait to, and you, where you're heard and you wait to hear. Real prayer. Do you actually think revival is just going to happen? There's no such thing as microwave revival. If you get microwave revival, then you get microwave salvation, none of which lasts. 
If you're going to microwave what you, can, what you call a move of God, whatever happens is literally just going to be emotionalism. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, what's another ingredient? Pray. Seek my face. I like the old preachers used to say, we're not seeking his hand, what he can give us. We're seeking his face, who he is. We want his presence. We want his face. Well, if, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. He doesn't, he's hearing from heaven. I will hear from heaven. I'll leave that alone. I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Real revival does need to come, but it starts in the heart before it manifests in the church. Any great revival throughout history, go read it. Whether it's, whether it's William Seymour with the Azusa Street Revival, or, or, or you, you go back through the history of revivals, they always started as a small spark inside the heart of a single, singular person. And then it would begin to grow and grow and grow among the people. But the revival is not something that's going to come upon us. It's something that's going to have to happen from within us. And we are in desperate need of a revival. Not because of who is or who is in office, but because of where we are, because the time declares it and the time calls for it. Look around. We need a revival. We need a revival of love. We need a revival of mercy. We need a re- I believe that among and along with this revival is going, to be the, the, is going to be miracles and signs and wonders. They'll have to come. We're not seeking after those, and we don't follow those. They're going to follow us. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Real revival needs to come, but it starts in the heart before it manifests in the church. The coming revival, I'm prophesying. I'm going to say it low so you don't think I have to yell to prophesy. The coming revival will be marked by miracles, signs, and wonders. It will be a revelation of the love and the enduring mercy of our Father. It will spread like wildfire across the planet. What is, what is within the hearts of the revivers will set the nations ablaze with the glory of the king and of his kingdom. It will be an unquenchable blaze, burning up chaff and refining gold. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. There will be a restoration of the family as God ordained it to be. This will be a revival marked by those who are loved and know how to love. And it will reveal to mankind our true identity as sons and daughters, not slaves and paupers. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. When? I don't know. When there's a flame sparked in your heart. Years ago, uh, I preached. My dad used to do the, what he called convention. or He called it camp meeting, but nobody camped, so I never really understood why we called it that. But uh, Now, we did when we first started. We actually camped on the grounds. We, we rented a place up in Hickory, and we had a men's dorm and a women's dorm and a cafeteria where I'm sure we had chicken. And it was on the lake, you know, you go fishing and swimming during the day and play basketball and, and have church and had a chapel on it. Uh, but he had me preach always like Wednesday or Thursday night and sort of kick things off. And, uh, and, and I said this, I'd been sitting next to a fire trying to build a bonfire out of our house. And uh, I, I took, and I really didn't want to have to mess with it, so I put a bunch of wood together, doused it with, uh, with some gasoline, and took a little match and threw it on the gasoline. Come play the uh, piano, somebody. Anybody, William, you can play. You're right there at it. It doesn't matter, William, Eli, whoever's in here, just somebody grab it. And uh, I, wanted, I wanted a fire, I wanted it quick. I didn't want to put in any work because really I was tired. It was a little chilly. I just wanted to sit there maybe with my guitar next to the fire. And so I just doused it with gasoline, struck a match, threw it on there, and oh my God, the fire was so hot. And it felt wonderful, and it was beautiful, and it was bright, and it was gone in 30 seconds. 
It was gone in 30 seconds. Because what was burning was not the wood, but the gasoline. The same thing happens in modern day, what we call modern day revivals. Is we get the best band to come, the best preacher to come. And, 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 and what we want them to do is douse us with some sort of a, uh, an accelerant. Or douse us with gasoline. And it feels good. Oh my God, that was beautiful. It was wonderful. And within three days, you forgot everything that happened. There was really not a real move. And no wood catches fire. I tried this about three or four times. You're going to do it my way. You know, just douse with gasoline. Boom. Strike a match. Throw it Boom. Oh my God, look at the wonderful revival I've gotten. 30 seconds later, it was out again. It's happened about three or four times until finally I said, okay. And I pulled all that stuff I had just kind of thrown into the pot. And I knelt down on my knees. I got a paper towel. I got some newspaper. My dad used to twist the newspaper because we always heated with fire growing up. And I knelt down beside the altar, the, the fire, struck a match, and lit the paper. And I built in a in a kind of a triangular shape I built the fire and I had to start with some small sticks and as I sat beside that fire the only thing I was waiting was for one stick to catch because I knew if I could get one stick to catch that it would burn until another one near it caught and then the one the second one that caught fire would burn and then a third one and before you knew it about 20 minutes in, I had the flame except it was able to be sustained because it wasn't being, it wasn't being uh, an accelerant. It was the actual fuel, the actual wood that was burning. And now I got to enjoy the fire. The same thing is the way revival happens. We, we we've, have long waited for the superstar preachers or the superstar singers to come in and sing their new stuff with their perfect music and have the preacher come and do all the work. And it does feel good for about 30 seconds until he's done. And then you're like, man, what just happened? What has to happen in this next great awakening is for people sitting right there in the pew, in the seats, to catch fire. To say, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to find a way every day. I'm not going to find, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it a priority. Look, you can say what you want to. You make a priority, you make time for the things that you have prioritized. I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to meet with him every day. I'm going to shut myself away from my family and away from my job and away from everything else that demands my time. I'm not telling you you should forsake those things, but I'm going to find a way. I'm going to make time. And it may start with five minutes. It may start, Bill Baldwin told us last year when he came, you know, he started praying for five minutes. And before you knew it, he was praying two and a half hours until he lost his time. Now he gets up at four o'clock in the morning to pray for three or four hours before every day starts and loves it. By the way, it would be the, the, burning, uh, the burning stick of that man's offspring, Josh Baldwin, that travels around the world with Bethel singing a lot of the songs that we do today because he's got a praying father like Bill. I'm going to find time to pray. I'm going to humble myself. That's a hard one for most of us, including and probably most of all me. Humbling yourself is not an easy thing because humbling yourself, you have to admit, I don't have it all figured out and I don't have it all together and a lot of times I'm wrong. But if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Seek my face. Not begging him for his gifts, not begging him for what he can give us, not begging him for the new job, not begging him for a new car, not begging, no. Seek his face. I just, what? The Bible says that the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. Then, 
These are the prerequisites for this. Then, after humbling yourself, and then after praying, and then after seeking my face, and then after turning from your wicked ways, then I will hear from, hear from heaven. A lot of our problems is we're praying uh, from a different realm than God's listening from. If you spend enough time in His presence, seeking His presence before you know it, you're at once caught up in His presence in the heavenly realm. That's the realm He hears from. Go back and read the, the, the dedication of Solomon's temple. Again and again and again, he says, And God, and I will hear from heaven, and I will hear from heaven, and I will hear it's in Chronicles. Go read it. And I will hear from heaven, and I will, that's where he hears from. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's how true revival starts. It's not with the gaslighting preacher. It's with individuals who catch fire within their own heart and burn long enough until somebody else besides them catches fire. And that person burns long enough. And then when we all come together, the, we, we are ablaze with His presence and ablaze with His glory and, ab and ablaze with wonder and ablaze, and ablaze with awe. And that's what this nation needs. That's what our world needs. That is coming. What God's looking, what I'm looking for is, I feel like God's just up here sitting and looking for one, I won't call you twigs of wood, <laughs> but for one branch, for one branch, for one, one limb to catch fire. So you can get one, I don't need all of you. I don't need all of you to amen me. I don't need all of you to like me. I don't need all, what I need is one person to catch fire and to say, I'm going to burn with this fire. I want to be a part of this next great awakening. I want to be a part of what God's going to do. I want to be a part of this, of this great revival, a reviving again of the, of the love of, of God that manifests between sons and daughters of God. A reviving again of the miracles and signs and wonders that happen. What? As a result of my love and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I, I want to be a part of that revival. How does it happen? If my people, which are called by my name, will what? you got to throw some ingredients in it. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Let's all stand. Lord, to the best of my ability, I believe that I've given what you put on my heart to give. And I pray that it's as pure when it comes from me as it is when you pour it into me. I believe that I've heard you, and I believe that I've heard your heart beat for a great awakening among your people. I believe that I've heard you uh, preparing us in 2020 and in the first month of 2021 to, to launch us into this next great awakening where church is not about where we you come together and get healed and get fixed, but church is where we uh, is who we are when we come together to tell about the great things that you've done for us throughout the week. That's the way the early church did. Father, that we would stop trying to come up with the new best thing and try to hype up the next big move and try to hype up the next big, big revival. You don't need hype. God, you don't need a hype man. But that there would be authenticity and a genuine desire for change, a genuine desire to see your love manifested in the earth because that will be the, the, the engine that drives this new great awakening. Lord, let it start with me. I publicly, I commit to humbling myself. I've been doing it. I want to do it more. I commit to praying and seeking your face. Turning from wicked ways. Things that are ill-fitting and don't produce. 
I pray that in this church, in this place, in this morning, at this time, someone else catches this same fire, catches this same flame, burns with the desire to see the world set ablaze with your love, set ablaze with your mercy, set ablaze with your presence, set ablaze with your truth, set ablaze with the reality that your kingdom comes. As I sit up here and pray, if you want, if something that has been said has triggered or has ignited a spark within you and you just want to, you, you just want to enter into a moment of prayer with me, come on up and join me up the front. We're almost finished. We'll be going home before you know it. But before then, if you truly believe that God has called you to be a part of what, he's, what, what He wants, not just we're waiting for Him to do, but what He's waiting for us to do, come on up and join me at the front. We don't pray enough. We don't spend enough time at the altars. Lord, we're not here to microwave what has been. We're here to heat up the stove again, to heat up the frying pan, to heat up our hearts again, Lord. That you can give us something that's fresh and something that's new. The same recipe, but it tastes good. The only recipe that I know works is your presence and us humbling ourselves to your presence and to your sovereign divine move and your sovereign divine timing. Lord, we humble ourselves today. Lord, forgive us for the times that we thought that we had it all figured out and we were the only ones. Forgive us for creating an exclusive club. Anytime I've drawn a circle to keep someone out, you always draw a bigger circle to include them. What do you want to see your face? Not glory that fades. We want more than just a page. We want you. Lord, if I never take a platform again to preach... That's fine by me as long as your presence comes. If I never take the platform again to sing, if that's what it takes, I'd rather have your presence, Lord. If I, if I never darken the doors of this place again, although I know I will, if I never did, if I knew that I had your presence, it would be enough. Lord, give us your presence, your face. Lord, we humble ourselves today and ask your forgiveness for having prideful, haughty hearts, for thinking more of ourselves than we ought. For discluding those that don't think like us or look like us or worship like us or act like us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for drawing any lines of separation. We humble ourselves this morning, Lord. We ask you for this move. We ask you to be a part of the third great awakening that comes upon this nation and upon the earth. We are your people. We're called by your name. We humble ourselves and pray. We seek your face. We commit to you, Lord, before everybody in this place to turn from wicked ways. We know that you hear from heaven. Thank you that you forgive our sin and heal our land. No longer will we reach up and grab you by the beard and pull you down to fit our agenda, Lord, but we lay ourselves on the altar of your agenda of what you want to do. 
We give away, Lord, our desire to be comfortable because we know some of the things that you're doing are, is going to challenge our comfortability, and yet we're willing to sacrifice that to have an authentic, genuine move. Shake the earth again, Lord. Shake the heavens. I know that the shaking only will stop when we are unshakable. Those that have attacked each other over this last political season, those that have said things, Lord, with a haughty heart or even including yours truly, Lord, including me, those that have made light of things that should not be made light of, Lord, forgive us. Help us to love with your heart. On behalf of my family and my church, Lord, we humbly ask your forgiveness, not because we're begging you because you won't give it, but because we know you will. We want to set things in order for what you're about to do through this place. Help us to become disciples. Disciplined to hear your voice and to sit in your presence. Help us to never be satisfied until we hear from your voice. Help us to not be satisfied with everything that has been, but to hunger and to long and to have a taste for what is to come until the coming world invades our present reality and we experience heaven on earth. In Jesus' name. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins. I will hear their land. I will heal their land. Thank you, Jesus, for healing your people. Let us take this ember. Let us take these burning flames, Lord, today and add more fuel and more fuel. Help give us again the vigor, Lord, and the and the joy of our salvation so that we can't help but share it Lord whether it's with our story or just with our lives or with our presence Lord with the, the presence the aura that's around us Father help us to just emanate and glow with your presence and bask in your presence until those around us just have to know what it is that makes us so full of joy and so full of peace and we share that it's the goodness of God and it's found in the land of the living we love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you. And everybody said amen. 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 Thanks for coming today.